Stuff Podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Wright and welcome to The Long Read from Stuff. This week's story is called What Lies Beneath. It's by Stuff senior journalist Eugene Bingham, who joins me now. Hi, Eugene. Kia ora, Michael. So, what lies beneath? Tantalising. What, what does lie beneath? Yeah, this is the story of sort of controversy, claim and counterclaim about uh, wartime tunnels beneath one of Auckland's most prominent landmarks, um, which is it's also one of the city's most lingering myths. Um, so tell us more about this. If we're not from Auckland, the place we're talking about is a place uh, known as North Head, um, which if you're, if you're from Auckland, you will know. But uh, set the scene for us. Where are, we, where are we talking here? Yeah, so it's Mangaweka North Head, which is uh, one of the first places to be settled by Māori on, uh, in Tamaki Makaurau. It's on the, on the North Shore and it overlooks the Waitemata Harbour sort of like a majestic royal, really. It's famous around the world as well, uh, thanks to the America's Cup, because during those times, and uh, those times, of course, have gone, that's another story, uh, it would always be jam-packed with people watching the sailing. It's a really special part of the city. And so this story explores the existence, or not, of tunnels, a network of tunnels under this hill, um, and it's sort of, as we'll hear, uh, a known quantity. There have been uh, things done on this this story and this idea in the past, but that's been sort of incorporated into your story. Uh, so how did that work? Yeah, I've, it's sort of a story as old as the hills, really. Um, and I've sort of joked that you can't have been a reporter in Auckland without having done a story about the North Air Tunnels. It really is just one of those stories that won't go away. And that's one of the things that intrigued me is that despite all the investigations, uh, despite all the reporting that's been done over the years, there are still questions to be answered. And so I set out to explore that history and also see what else I could find out along the way. All right, let's hear what you found out. Here is Eugene reading his story, What Lies Beneath. Rob Osborne is showing us around his childhood playground pointing out places he used to run and hide in the 1950s. But it gets confusing, because they don't exist. At least, that's the official line. I just can't understand the official view of the situation saying there are no tunnels, says Osborne. It just beggars belief. I don't know why they're doing it. Because, to him, these places he remembers are real all right. I know for sure they are there, he says. I've seen them. I've been past them. I've been in them. These tunnels he's talking about are almost mythical relics of a wartime past on Auckland's Maungawika North Head. Despite the eyewitness accounts of dozens of civilians and ex-military personnel, the government and custodians of one of the city's most recognisable landmarks are adamant. There is no mystery. What you see is all there is to see. Initially, a spokesperson for the Department of Conservation, or DOC, which took over management of the land from the Defence Force in 1990, told Stuff, Based on previous investigations carried out by Defence, and subsequently by DOC, there is no reason to believe hidden tunnels exist. Maungawika is now governed by the Tupuna Maungar Authority, made up of mana whenua and Auckland Council representatives, but it declined to comment except to say it was in step with DOC's view. So, all clear, right? No hidden tunnels. But in the course of Stuff's investigation, 
the ground on such firm statements shifted, or at least the understanding of what exactly it means changed. And new documents and discoveries made the black and white nature of what's been maintained for decades more a shade of grey. In the meantime, campaigners who have kept up a sustained, self-funded investigation for years are unyielding. We could find out in a couple of days, says Martin Butler, author of Tunnel Vision, Unearthing the Secrets of North Head. What have they got to hide? What is the downside if you were saying there's nothing there? Why have you been holding us out since 2011? The story of what lies beneath the Maunga, a dormant volcano standing guard over the Waitamata Harbour, is not new. It's a story that stretches back to the 1880s, when fears of a Russian invasion led to hasty construction to shore up the country's coastal defences. A story involving prison labourers. A story of General Douglas MacArthur and the might of the American military reaching deep into the Pacific during World War II. A story of missing documents and spies. Over the years, the story has been dug up many times. When stuff started making inquiries for this investigation, one government spokesperson rang to say, you know this has all been covered before, right? The implication? You're wasting your time. Nothing to see here. Except, there is plenty to see. Even after all these years, all these investigations, and all that reporting, And there is plenty still to find, and plenty of people saying something doesn't seem right. So Hugh Rennie QC, a man not given to flights of fancy, has looked at the case and said, there's enough evidence to raise a genuine possibility that something exists and that it's appropriate to go to the next step and investigate it. Martin Butler sits in his home office surrounded by paperwork. Books on shelves, stacked to the ceiling, and a computer packed with neatly ordered folders of documents and illustrations. If there's a particular reference Butler is searching for, he'll know which folder to look in, and will have it on screen with a few clicks of his mouse. It's the only way he could have carried on over the years, otherwise he would have drowned in information. Though, sometimes it's the dearth of information he finds telling. This is all the information Defence has on North Head, he says, lifting up a small box. Two small packets of documents. The retired commercial pilot first became interested in the North Head mystery in the early 1990s, when there was media coverage about claims of hidden tunnels, including theories about two original Boeing aircraft from the 1910s. But over the years, there was more about the case that captured Butler's attention. If it was just about the planes, he says... We would have given this thing up years ago. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, Butler followed coverage of a court case about the tunnels, a dispute between documentary maker John Earnshaw and the government over an agreement Earnshaw had for drilling of possible sites. Earnshaw, who died in 2014, accused the government of failing to carry out proper investigations. While the judge found the government had breached its agreements with Earnshaw, she delivered an apparent hammer blow to the tunnel claims. Justice Dame Sean Elias, who would go on to become New Zealand's Chief Justice, ruled she was not persuaded there were forgotten tunnels, despite the evidence of more than 50 eyewitnesses. They have not satisfied me on the balance of probabilities that there exist tunnels containing militaria or aircraft under North Head, the judge wrote. To Butler, things didn't make sense. 
In his spare time, he picked up the case and studied it, sometimes walking away and shaking his head. It's been an interest, he says, but also a love-hate thing. He went to libraries and archives. He took his children up the hill to see what was there. He talked to those eyewitnesses and others who emerged. He uncovered new information. Bit by bit, he became convinced. This sounds so bizarre, he says. Unless you see all the evidence, you would turn around and say, it's so far-fetched, it's inconceivable. But when you see the evidence, all roads point to Rome. There are sealed tunnels at North Head. So if it's not the planes that have kept Butler engaged, what is it? It's something that was, when he first heard of it, mind-blowing. It was inconceivable to me, he says, even the possibility of it. You could say it's something explosive. Ammunition. Specifically, leftover ammunition. From the late 19th century until after World War II, Mangawika was used to store ammunition. Initially, underground structures built by prison labourers during the Russian scare of 1885, and in the years afterwards, stored black powder, gun cotton and picric acid. After the attack on Pearl Harbour in 1941, New Zealand became a base for American troops and their equipment. Huge supplies of ammunition were sent here, and coastal defence sites, including at North Head, were beefed up. The question is, what happened to the ammunition once the threats of war ended? You'll find clues and documents and from witnesses, but perhaps the most intriguing comes from former Defence Minister Bob Tizard. In 1992, documentary maker John Earnshaw recorded a phone conversation with Tizard, who had retired two years earlier. In the conversation, Tizard told Earnshaw some ammunition was left underground in sealed tunnels. I don't think there is any argument about this deteriorating ammunition, Tizard, who died in 2016, said in the recording. That's why the place was sealed initially. They had the choice of methods of disposal, and they took the cheapest and they just sealed the tunnels. Tizard didn't just tell Earnshaw this, he told others, and was reported in the North Shore Times advertiser saying it could be dangerous if people went looking for the tunnels. The very act of trying to break through the concrete could set it off, he told the paper. Letters Tizard wrote in response to queries from local authorities are held in the Auckland Council archives, searched by stuff. In one letter... Tizard says he asked his defence officials about the tunnels because people wanted to go searching for the old Boeings. The response from defence, Tizard wrote, was that there was nothing visible in the existing tunnels that remotely resembled aircraft. They didn't want to go probing for possible spaces that had been bricked or blocked off in case they disturbed deteriorating ammunition. In another letter, Tizard assured residents, I would suggest simply that the tunnels be left sealed that no search for aircraft parts should proceed, and that residents around North Head continue to sleep peacefully at night. Tizard's belief there's no argument to be had is not held by the Department of Conservation. It said there was no reason to believe, quote, UXO, unexploded ordnance, i.e. ammunition, exist. The statement continued, Doc stands by its previous remarks on what Mr Butler asserts, and the work we've done at North Head, including the extensive work by David Vert, a former DOC staff member. Vert, an archaeologist, carried out an investigation from 1992 to 1994 and concluded, There are no hidden tunnels at North Head, 
As a result, there is no ammunition stored in those alleged tunnels. This opinion was shared by Major Reg Nutsford, the last officer on North Head before the army left in the 1950s. In a 1992 TVNZ documentary, he said allegations of buried ammunition were a slight against him and those who served alongside. There's nothing secret today about North Head, he told the programme. Vert also featured in the documentary, though he was more circumspect back then, even saying, in some ways, it would be better if there wasn't an answer. But Vert's opinion firmed, and he's been quoted in stories over the years, unwavering in his assessment. Despite Vert's conclusion, and that of the court, the rumours and allegations just won't go away. Wayne Mapp, who was Defence Minister from 2008 to 2011, remembers having dealings with Earnshaw in the 2000s, even going up to North Head with him. Mapp can't remember specifics, but he says he was unconvinced there were tunnels, though he couldn't absolutely rule it out. You couldn't definitely say the existence of tunnels was disproved, he says. It certainly made the proof of their existence much harder to justify, and much harder to justify the continuation of a search. Mapp and Tizard weren't the only senior politicians exercised about the tunnels over the years. Records in council archives include accounts of interventions from the Prime Minister down. In 1991, then Deputy Prime Minister Don McKinnon held a meeting to hear from Earnshaw and people who told him they had personally been in the tunnels. Former military personnel spoke about visiting the tunnels on official duty and off-duty excursions and of seeing stores of ammunition inside, an account of the meeting says. One man, a civilian, told of going inside the tunnels via an entrance that had since been covered over with earth and of seeing crates the size of railway wagons. McKinnon heard enough that he called a meeting in the Beehive two months later with Defence Minister Warren Cooper, local MPs and Defence and Conservation officials. The meeting concluded there needed to be an investigation, but it's fair to say the officials weren't convinced there was anything to be seen. Meeting minutes seen by staff showed that all the archived records were presented to the meeting but, quote, no evidence to support claims of a sealed complex of tunnels exists. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. There's a phrase which is believed to trace back to the 19th century. Absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Did the lack of documents found for that beehive meeting in 1991 prove anything? Not really. For starters... Subsequent documents mentioning the tunnels have been found. Butler has uncovered at least five in which defence officials discuss them. One, from 1983, says the tunnels were, quote, sealed relatively recently, not in the 1920s and 30s as previously believed. Another, from 1984, lists three tunnel entrances and the possibility of a longer 3.8 metre wide tunnel connecting them. And then... In 1989, the naval commander in charge of North Head told the local council in a letter, there are sealed tunnels at North Head. While he said there were no records of ammunition in the tunnels, he said, 
we cannot categorically prove there is nothing in the sealed tunnels. He's not the only military leader to say such a thing. In 2015, the then Deputy Chief of Navy, Commodore D. McDougall, told a News Hub investigation, the tunnel complex up there is quite extensive, and from my knowledge, there are three sealed compartments off the tunnels. Testing found no evidence of buried ammunition though, he said. So it's a strange situation. Doc saying there are no hidden tunnels, military leaders saying there are sealed tunnels, and then, in those council archives, revealing letters from government ministers. In one, then Prime Minister Jim Bolger replied to worried locals, It's a fact that ammunition was stored in magazines on North Head until the late 1950s, wrote Bolger. As well as the magazines on North Head itself, Bolger confirmed, quote, There was a tunnel at Torpedo Bay used for storage of ammunition until at least the latter part of the 1920s and possibly later. The locals found Bolger's reply revealing. As far as we can ascertain, they wrote in reply, the suggestion that there were any tunnels off Torpedo Bay has been categorically denied by all officials who have investigated the mountain and its defences. It wasn't the only revealing letter locals received. In August 1992, Conservation Minister Dennis Marshall wrote, quote, All live ammunition was removed before 31 December 1957, and ammunition records were destroyed after auditing procedures had been completed. He continued, You will note the statement that all live ammunition was removed. Some perfectly safe solid shot remained, and the sight of this could have confused observers unfamiliar with military ammunition. Marshall's letter was, to some, dynamite. Not so much about the danger of leftover ammunition, more about where it was. If some, albeit perfectly safe, ammunition remained, where was it? What tunnels was Marshall talking about? Maybe these. Among documents at the Council Archives is one from March 1989, titled SITREP, North Head Tunnels. SITREP, by the way, stands for Situation Report. It outlines how military engineers spent two days drilling holes at the summit to confirm the findings of an electronic survey. The team located one tunnel entrance but progressed no further, the report said. The engineers would take no further action unless granted authorisation. Curious, what happened? And what was the electronic survey? In all likelihood, it's connected to work carried out in 1988 by the Government Communications Security Bureau, the country's electronic spies. Why were spies involved in the tunnel hunt? It's been a mystery. A GCSB spokesperson said the work was in response to a Navy request. It was also an opportunity to test recently obtained ground radar survey equipment by the GCSB team, says the spokesperson. The GCSB had no other interest in the area. Back in 1988, the work was done on the quiet, says Martin Butler. Even John Earnshaw, the documentary maker who was on the case, didn't know about it. Unbeknown to John Earnshaw, the GCSB turned up because they had ground radar, says Butler. They did their ground radar in front of the summit gun pit. What they found was a possible tunnel, according to a GCSB report obtained by Butler. An army drilling team was put to work a week later. At eight feet, says the GCSB report, resistance to drilling stopped and compressed air blowback around the drill ceased, indicating the presence of a large airspace. So, we know the GCSB radar found a cavity of some sort, 
And there was a follow-up by army engineers who say they found a tunnel entrance. What next? During the investigation led by David Vert, the archaeologist and former dock staffer, in the early 90s, holes were drilled at the summit through the walls of a gun pit looking for the tunnel entrance. Nothing was found, and Vert's report concludes that, rather than a tunnel entrance, the army engineers struck rubble fill, some of which had shaken loose to create airspace. Butler wasn't convinced. In 2011, he hired ground-penetrating radar experts himself, and Doc allowed them to investigate, including at that spot. And the results were intriguing. I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You don't want to be held to account well, no, on I, I, rising child no, abuse numbers. You can manipulate crime statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a tattoo about gotcha journalism. Hang into the National Party's no, attack line there. No, that, I think Chris, it would be a resignation offence if I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, 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 I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing that's affair there. That sits with you perfectly fine. That's what, we're, that's what we're focused on. Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts. Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret. In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility. At least you've been in it. It's, it's really tough and really lonely. Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers, you don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending. This very blunt, abrasive doctor who I had, you know, had not seen before, who delivered the news, just like, you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby. The Human Race, where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life. I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it. And so I feel really lucky. So it's been incredibly positive. Listen today at stuff.co.nz slash the human race or wherever you get your podcasts. The Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate. Geophysicist Matt Watson recalls when Martin Butler first asked him if he could work on North Head. I had heard stories of extensive tunnels, Watson says, but, like everyone, had a certain scepticism. But after two years on the case, using specialised equipment to examine what lies beneath the surface, he's sceptical no more. The ground-penetrating radar data is clearly indicating there are additional tunnels, says Watson. With that data, and the historical evidence, Watson is certain. I am definitely 100% convinced. One of the areas which had a return from the radar is by the summit gun pit, where the army engineers reported finding an entrance. There's also a map from the 1940s which purports to show a tunnel in this area. Watson says it makes sense there are more tunnels, for geological reasons. One of my roles is to look at various types of rock, he says, and the possible issues for tunnelling. North Head is a scoria cone and represents one of the easiest locations in Auckland for tunnel construction. In the early 1900s, tunnelling techniques were advanced in New Zealand. It's inconceivable that tunnels weren't constructed deep into the North Head Scoria Cone, given that it is so easy, and it was so critical to have a safe storage location, Watson says. All the battery emplacements and the ammunition loading at the Torpedo Bay Yard and the operation rooms would be linked below ground, 
the fact that they are claimed not to be is just simply unbelievable. So, we've heard from cabinet ministers, researchers, scientists. What about the people who say they've been in the tunnels themselves? People like Rob Osborne, who says he scurried through them as a kid. If you stand on Maungawika, you can see the house where he grew up with his adoptive parents in the 1950s. From there, he would look up and see trucks and diggers coming and going. There were major earthworks going on as the army prepared to withdraw, leaving the navy occupying the summit, and the lower slopes taken over by the council as public space. To a young fella growing up, when you see a big digger, you're like, oh wow, Osborne says. I thought, oh mission, I'm going up there. One way he got up the hill was from Cheltenham Beach, climbing under a fence to see the diggers and trucks and watching old buildings being demolished. He also explored, sometimes on his own, sometimes dragged around by older kids, and sometimes he ended up inside tunnels. One of the entrances, he says, was a trapdoor inside one of the tunnels you can still access at the North Battery. The trapdoor is no longer there though. Osborne believes it's been concreted over. As he taps his walking stick on the spot where he believes the entrance once was, Osborne says he could climb down a ladder via a shaft which branched off to other levels. There were quite a few side tunnels which also led off, he says. Some tunnels led out to other entrances, he says. Entrances which no longer exist. To Osborne, his adventures were just fun boyhood memories. He left the area before it all became controversial, and it wasn't until he moved back to Auckland in the 2000s that he became aware his story was considered untrue. In the court case, Justice Dame Sean Elias concluded the witnesses were mistaken or that stories had been cross-contaminated. Osborne wasn't one of the witnesses in the court case. He didn't even know about it at the time, but he doesn't hold back about what he thinks of the view that all those people are wrong. It's bullshit, he says. I know they're there. One person who gave evidence in the case was Vernon Rule, an ex-Navy petty officer. Rule testified about navigating the tunnels with a torch during lunchtimes with friends. He stands by his version of events and is baffled his recollections and those of the others have been dismissed. It shattered my faith in the system, he says. I could see, when it came down to it, the truth was twisted and neglected. After an initial query to defence about its position, a spokesperson for the military replied, the NZDF maintains there are no hidden tunnels in North Head. It's the same wording as docks, no hidden tunnels. We asked what defence meant by the word hidden, since its own files mentioned sealed tunnels, and the former Deputy Head of Navy, Commodore Dean McDougall, mentioned sealed compartments. The spokesperson replied, correcting the statement to say, there are no undiscovered tunnels in North Head. Undiscovered is different from hidden, so we asked Doc if they could explain things. After initially declining any interviews, Doc agreed to have senior ranger Stefan Sebrets show stuff around. Over a cup of coffee while we wait for the weather to clear on a rainy afternoon, Sebrets confirms, yes, there are three areas closed to the public, but he uses the word locked off rather than sealed. We're discovering the language of this mystery is perhaps the hardest thing to pin down. With torches in hand, Sebrets leads us to those sites. First is what is known as the Summit Battery, 
behind-the-gun pit investigator in the late 80s and 90s. There's an area of instability that was deemed unsafe, and also an area where there's some original 1880s paint, says Sebretz, explaining why the area is closed. Once we're back above ground, he points out a sloping patch of grass where there was once an entrance to where we'd just been. You would never know. You might say it's hidden. Next, Seabritz takes us to what's known as the main magazine. For as long as I've known, it's been in use as a storage facility for gear, he says. And indeed, as we wander around, we step past an old 64-pounder artillery gun, as well as piles of wood and other debris. The only place we can't physically enter, even with Seabritz escorting us, is the eastern engine room. It's so structurally unsafe, not only are people not allowed inside, no one is allowed on the ground above it either. Seabritz doesn't believe there are tunnels not already discovered, though he admits there are things he doesn't know the answers to. In the Summit Battery, for instance, there are patches where the concrete is newer looking. What's that? What's underneath? Seabritz shrugs his shoulders. He's not being obstructive. He simply doesn't know. And besides, Doc didn't build the tunnels. They're the work of the military, going back more than 130 years. Another thing Seabrex doesn't know is which areas Commodore McDougall meant when he referred to sealed compartments off the tunnels. His description doesn't match anything we've just seen. So what does McDougall mean? These days, he's retired from the Navy, but he's happy to take a call. McDougall was the last officer in charge of the summit before the Navy left in 1996 and first served there in the early 1980s. For as long as he's known about North Head, he says, he's known stories about tunnels. But the ones he was talking about in 2015, he says, are no great mystery. They were in the summit battery area where we entered with Seabrets. From my memory, he says, and it is 40 plus years ago, to the right of that entrance, there was a tunnel that was blocked off with standard concrete blocks, and the reason it was closed off was that the tunnel was crumbling. So, from a safety point of view, they blocked it off. So, discovered tunnels, but not hidden ones. There are other areas that have been closed off, or sealed, or locked, depending on what word you choose. But officially at least, as Defence says, there are no undiscovered tunnels. Unofficially though, does it end there? Not if you ask Martin Butler. How can the ground radar results be explained? Butler also points to references in old documents he's been able to see. One mentions a war shelter, and there's even a drawing of it. There are also old photos, including one showing a wartime underground plotting room alleged to be beneath North Head. Others believe the room is elsewhere, but there's a newspaper clipping from 1927 describing coastal defence exercises run out of North Head. There are fortified underground rooms high above the guns in which firing operations are directly controlled, the New Zealand Herald story says. In these mysterious dugouts are contained every appurtenance of modern range finding. But the locality of those places wherein are housed the brains of the fort is not visible to the casual observer. So cunningly are they placed that aircraft searchers would be hard put to find them. If it's an accurate description of North Head's setup. Where are those rooms now? Butler knows where he'd like to look, and he's hired lawyers to help his case, including Sir Hugh Rennie, who was appointed a Queen's Counsel in 1995. Rennie is now enjoying retirement, 
but before he hung up his court robes, he provided some advice. The matter was unknown to me, apart from the odd newspaper story, Rennie says, until Martin's lawyer got hold of me and said they wanted an independent opinion. What he found, he says, is a case best described as unusual. I can't think of any other case I've encountered where there was a case for some action to be taken and yet authority was not given for it, he says. Especially because what Butler is proposing worked to confirm the ground radar findings he is prepared to pay for. As to why, Rennie doesn't buy into a grand conspiracy. In the whole of my private sector career of 52 years, I've repeatedly said when you have to choose between conspiracy theory and cock-up theory, it's usually the cock-up theory. But he does believe it's time for a new investigation. He respected the finding of Justice Elias in her court decision of the early 2000s, but he says she was drawing a conclusion based on what was in front of her at the time. Clearly, there is some evidence subsequent to that court case. Aerial material, ground radar scans, and so forth, he says. So you have to say, does it all add up to enough? Rennie thinks the answer is clear. If this was any of the well-known criminal appeals, if that much subsequent material had surfaced in a case where someone had been criminally convicted, you would expect there to be a fresh look at it. That was What Lies Beneath on the Long Read from Stuff, written and read by Eugene Bingham and produced by me, Michael Wright. This episode was edited by Connor Scott. If you're listening via the Stuff website, you can hear this story and many more like it on the Long Read podcast, available on all the usual podcast apps. If you liked what you heard, please give us a five-star rating and a review. It helps other listeners find us. Thanks for listening. If you liked listening to this pod, help us make more like this. Visit stuff.co.nz support.